Bartag! What is your profession? From high atop the Rocky Mountains, it's the Barbarian Prophet. Hey, welcome back, Barbarian Nation. It is our one-year anniversary today, and uh, we have been plugging away at this thing. I've actually only got in 46, uh, this will be episode 46, in the last 12 months, and uh, I am honored today to have Douglas Scholes join us again, um, and we are uh, expand. We didn't have enough time the last time we spoke, so we decided we would do another show together, and we want to tackle some very specific things one of which is um we're gonna call that um how to be a barbarian in a civilized church how does that sound douglas (laughs) i think that's a good one okay so i think that's what i'll even title this show is a barbarian in a civilized church so so give us a quick, uh, for people that just happen to be grabbing onto this thing and running for their first time, give us a quick little background on you. Um, I'm pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. i uh, been a pastor for 31 years. Have a real passion for uh, just reaching people, uh, regardless of whether they're church or unchurched and uh, want to see people fall in love with Jesus Christ. Of yep. course, that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, but uh, that's my my prayer. Well, and we got to always remember we're the one there. Uh, he calls us to places to uh, love through people. You know, God doesn't ever use yeah. anybody. He loves through them. And uh, because we use tools, but he loves through us as people. So, you know, one of the things that we were talking about last time you were on here is a little bit about being a Lutheran without being a Lutheran, you know, about being, uh, how does a person go about being a Christian um, first and foremost uh, without being overzealous when they're talking to people? What would you think? Well, I, I think, I think the, it's an attitude of love again is is having compassion for people and not thinking that you're going to be the one that convinces convinces them to come to faith because you know we understand especially as Lutherans um, that you know the human heart is corrupt and the only way that human heart's going to change is by the one that takes takes it from being a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and that's that's the, the power of God. Amen. So it's just, it's our job. As you said, I, I really like the way you say that too, is that God doesn't use people. He loves through them. And that's what we're called to be is just to be, you know, a, a, a sacrament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of God's grace and love. Um, no matter who people are. So, well, and that's one of the things about learning to be, you know, a sacrament It, it you know, um, we need to understand that when we're called to be disciples and make other disciples, it isn't about forcing other people into anything. What it is is about presenting the beauty that Christ has done inside of your life and them getting to the point where they want to know that same Christ. I mean, it all, and, and if you're beating them over the head with whatever, you're not going to win anything. You never win an argument. 
You just come to no. you just come to a compromise where neither party is happy is what you end up with. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, the thing is, there's not a whole lot of Lutherans that are out there yelling at people to come to Christ. Right. Uh, right. Well, and that is know, also Luther- a problem: is not not ever revealing your uh, faith. Right. Well, Lutherans um, kind of can be timid about their faith. The the thing is. Um, there was a huge study uh, done about Lutherans by the in, the Lutheran insurance companies, actually, hmm. back in the 70s. And one of the things that they found was that Lutherans highly valued being a neighbor, which goes along with, you know, the Good Samaritan, oh, you know, yeah. who is my neighbor. Right. And so Lutherans highly valued being a good neighbor, and they saw that as part of the way that they witnessed what was interesting, this is again back in the 70s, and they asked, How many of you invite somebody to church? And they said, 44% said they actually did. But I think I think that was uh, over reporting. Right, <laughs> I don't right. I think it was that high. Yeah, that was probably in more uh, 50% of that 44%, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, well, let me ask you this real quick. What is it? What is the the key things would be in like, you know, let's talk about our faith for here. Just a minute. There is a, there is a lot of differences in theological understandings, right? I mean, there's a Baptist thought process. There's a, a liturgical thought process or sacramental would be a better way of putting it a sacramental uh, thought process or theology, but we're all supposed to be just of the theology of the cross and uh, so my, my question to you is, uh, what are some of the key things you find within this faith that a person could share that would be of interest to other people? Like out of the confessions, for example, if they've never ever heard of them, which a lot of people even in the uh, Lutheran faith do not, I mean, they, they've heard it, they hear the term Augsburg Confession, but they really don't know what any of that means. Right. Well, and this is why you and I wanted to talk further, because there's there's this whole idea, you know, first is, you know, Jesus doesn't send us to make Lutherans. He sends us to make disciples. Amen. But sometimes we get confused about that, I think, and I don't think it's just Lutherans. I think other denominations can be, too. But we get caught up with trying to, bring people into a really a specific culture and Lutherans, Scandinavians, Germans, and the others, they have a very specific culture. And and that's not necessarily what it means to be Lutheran. Right. I think as I think about, you know, what it means to share my faith as a Lutheran Christian, um, you mentioned the theology of the cross, but still, Many Christians really don't understand the depth of that. Um, I have a friend of mine whose son, who's about 30, is uh, he's got a fatal disease. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's almost bedridden at 30 years old. And my friend was telling me, and he really didn't want to, was to tell me about how he had to, you know, he had to wipe the butt of his 30-year-old son. Right, because he was so so weak with illness, and how 
and how debil- how debilitating that was to him, um, not just as a father, but as a man. He says, I'm just not created for this. And, and there's actually, a, um, there's a passage from Luther where he talks about how the world looks at a father changing a baby's diaper and thinks, what an effeminate fool you are to be changing the diaper. But Luther says there you, there actually the father is embracing the life of the cross. Amen. And a lot of people are, I mean, every human being lives the time of the cross. The challenge is, do we embrace it? Do we see it as a time when God is closer to us than we could ever imagine? Or are we trying to deny it, trying to sedate ourselves from it? Are we trying to, um, you know, embrace a theology of glory? And, and I think that's a, I think that's a key way to reach people because everybody bear, you know, endures a time of the cross. The challenge is, do we see it as an opportunity for, for spiritual growth or something to run away from? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm envisioning uh, <clears throat> a comment my own father made to me when my, my dad had cancer and, and he was, we were getting pretty close to the end and my dad was getting pretty weak. We were still able to t- put him in the shower and, and stuff to that effect and, and would help him with that. But uh, there comes this point, you know, my dad always wore a very specific beard. He had a very Amish style beard and that's something he'd wore ever since I was a little kid. And um, when um, uh, this one night I got him in there and I, I said, dad, do you want me to go ahead and shave you and clean you up? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. And I started shaving my father and as I'm shaving his face, uh, because he could no longer raise his, he didn't have the strength to hold his hands up very long. And he said, you know, when you are young, you are the strength for your children. But when you are old, they are your strength. And yeah. and that that is just what struck me when you were when you're talking about we all have to embrace that moment of the cross. And sometimes also receiving that help. I was thinking of the son that you were just talking about, that he also had to endure that and and recognize, um, you know, that there are times that, that that's that love for one another. That truly yeah. is what the cross is all about. I mean, it, it can be as deep as we want it to, but it also has a simple surface thing that says, I am willing to sacrifice whatever dignity I have for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think as we talk about, you know, how would we share our faith? One of the things I talk about with folks is, you know, our understanding as Lutherans is it's, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, different denominational perspectives and, you know, ours, yes, we have a written confessional that, outlines our understanding of the faith, but the the key thing that it keeps coming back to over and over again is this is what the scripture says. You know, when we, when we recite the, the apostles creeds or the Nicene creed, you know, what we're, what we're reciting is the affirmation of what is found in the scriptures. And as to be, to be a Lutheran Christian isn't about being Lutheran. It's about being biblical. 
Right. Well, and, and the other side would argue that, that they're doing the same thing. You know, they would say, well, we are also being biblical and looking. And well, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. And then, you know, but then it comes down to, is, you know, how deep are you willing to go into that? Mm-hmm. Um, are we, are we willing to let go of our, of our, our philosophical predeterminations mm-hmm. in order to accept the scripture. And one of the things that's really critical is, is the understanding of what human beings are and as Lutherans. And I think again, as the scripture says is that the human heart is utterly deceptive, that human beings are utterly lost in sin. And and that's one of the things about being Lutheran is that we, we have actually have a very radical anthropology. We believe that human beings are lost in sin and are incapable of saving themselves spiritually. And there's a lot of other folks um, who think, well, you know, we got to give human beings a little part to play. You know, they have some divine spark. Lutheran's like, no, it's not in the scriptures. And um, so... We talk a lot about having been saved. Once you got the spirit, then then you get to you know ride on a, a tandem bike with God, <laughs> you know, go along with what God is doing. But before that, when you're on your own, you're nothing but flat tires. Right. So you know, in in speaking to another person that uh, let's say has uh, you know when they have been saved. And they're starting down that path and working within that relationship with Christ. Uh, that is the only place you truly find that. But I mean, what, one of the things that you're you're making comment on, I, I'm guessing, is the term free will. Um, free will, or what's the phrase they use? Basically, like you've got some little prevenient grace. Mm, <laughs> That's a term I that I haven't heard that one. Yeah, there's some other, you know. Um, well, it came out of uh, oh, St. Thomas, I think. Uh, I shouldn't even say it. Oh, Thomas Aquinas yeah. and some others, you know, that and Erasmus, you know, back in the 1500s, he well, talked about that. And those those guys were very, I mean, just so we're not turning the show into a total theological debate. Here, <laughs> but um, because a lot are like, who the hell are those guys, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Now, on the other end is that, you know, that is part of the problem with the westernization of the the scriptures though i mean you know when we when we start taking a look at at you uh shift everything into the greek you also end up unfortunately a lot of times with a greek mindset and a greek mindset was definitely a humanist philosophical thinking and that becomes a very dangerous ground in which to walk upon yeah and you know you take uh you know, most people think when you use the term western uh the western uh, scriptures or the westernization of the bible they always think that you're talking about the americanization of the bible which is a completely different situation but you know when we take a look at it from a hebrew root mindset uh, that it was birthed out of that and we are grafted in it is not we are not something separate we're not a replacement for the jew we, right. we are definitely not that. We are very much so grafted into uh, that faith. And that's where I think you see a tremendous amount of conflict 
between the Eastern Orthodox Church um, and the Western Orthodox Church, or yeah, you know, yeah. <clears throat> where they both feel that they're standing right, but both of them are standing right on very separate mindsets, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, but and I, I think the other part of this. You know, you were saying, how, how do you share your faith with someone? I think one part is to say, just recognize that you're lost in your sin. Right. You keep trying to do it on your own terms. And to talk, you know, like I said, we have a, a radical anthropology, but understanding of who human beings are. But the other side of that is we have a radical understanding of God. Right. And, and that the, that the, that's the, whole the Lord term. God is almighty. Right. That is that is radical theology right there. I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, you we have an all powerful God. Right. Yeah. And uh, and that we, you know, so so I'm going to ask you a really crazy question. Are you ready? Yeah. Can your God do anything? Yeah. I mean, he certainly can do anything with my sin. Well, that, that isn't the question. Can he do anything? And I'm not leading you down a bad road. I'm leading you down the right way. <laughs> I'm not going to say, can he make a rock so big he can't pick it up? No, that ain't what I'm doing here. I'm asking well, he can do you, anything in, in his character. There, that is a great way of answering that. <clears throat> because two things that God does not, cannot, and will not do. <clears throat> one is lie, and the other one is force you to love him. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two things that's scriptural. I mean, that's just yeah. flat out the way it is. And most people have it in their mind when somebody says, my God can do anything. The truth of the matter is there's certain things that you said it absolutely correctly. That is what he, he can do anything that is within his character, you know? So that is, that's something that's really, really good to ha to hang on to. One of the things, you know, I, I want to kind of get us going down a, another little path here is with the, uh, being spiritual inspired, you know, and one of the things yeah. that, that I don't know that you said, I know you said it in other conversations with us or with me. I don't know what I've got on the air versus what I say in person half of the time. Cause I, <laughs> I just flow. Uh, but you know, when we were talking about Luther being a charismatic and a lot of people, oh, yeah. a lot of people don't look at him that way, especially uh very uh, pious Orthodox thinking focused people do not see him as a super radical charismatic person <clears throat> at least uh in his day but you want to give me some insight on that yeah um i was doing a i was doing a sermon and on uh part of one of the texts was psalm 90 okay and the, the specific passage was lord teach me to number my days and I sort of thought, thought about that in terms of, you know, a very modernistic time management kind of thing. And I said, I wonder what my friend Luke, Martin Luther had to say about it. And I thought, you know, I'll just go to Luther's works and I'll find a few pages. He had 50 pages on Psalm 90. Okay. And it's all about the the, the, the part of the reason his number of my days is to keep the wrath of God down to a minimum as I live in opposition to him, he writes all these 50 pages and it ends, it ends with this. And this is what the Holy spirit told me to say. I mean, that just, when I read that, it just really knocked me back. And I've always half felt like Luther was, 
you know, that he was spirit inspired. I don't, I don't see how you go up against the Pope and the Holy Roman empire without some more Supreme backing than just your obnoxious. <laughs> right. Well, you yeah. know, but, but a key thing there is, is that there's an open admission to listening to the Holy spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, a lot of, a lot of Lutherans would, would want to put a black mark on that. No, I think, I, I think Luther was very much inspired by the spirit. I, I'm always amazed when, when uh, Lutherans have a timidity about the Holy spirit, because when you read our liturgy, yeah, the Holy spirit is there everywhere. Yeah. We're birthed uh, out of a spirit, a, a Holy spirit movement. Right. The Holy Spirit and, was moving and and he and and Martin Luther was selected to do that lead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we want to do we want to come to church just so we can, you know, look nice, sing some some songs and go home or do we want to experience you know, the power and the presence and the authority of God? Right. In our lives to see our lives transform. Well, that all of that depends upon the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. You know, uh, that's one of the things when you take a look at the end of Luke and uh, Jesus is walking with the two disciples and they say, uh, abide with us. And he says, I would have taken you further. Yeah. But he does abide with them and stay where they're at but he would have taken them a lot further than where they were headed. And, uh, you know, I've thought about that numerous times, just how far would you have taken them, Lord? And then what has been pointed out to me very, very clearly is how far did he take Enoch? Mm -hmm. Most of the time what holds people up with movement of the Holy Spirit is they've gotten as far as they want to go and they stop. Not God does yeah, not stop. Yeah. Well, I think there's nothing more scary for a congregation than when the Holy Spirit takes over. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm experiencing that. So, <laughs> you know, when people I, when uh, when people don't necessarily have control over things, and but at the same time, nothing's more exciting than when God is is moving in people's hearts, trans changing people's lives, bringing people to the church. Um, all of those things are are very exciting. But they're exciting, and not just because of just to be excited, though. I want to be really clear about that. They're exciting because you see the kingdom of God among us, which is what the what the scriptures promise us. Right, right. That's exactly what we're supposed to be seeing. So um, when a, when a spiritual move drops into a Lutheran church, how does the rest of the Lutherans? deal with that one group when can you okay. one more time where, so. where i'm going with that is so you got a little bit of old casper wyoming and all of a sudden the holy spirit drops in the middle of them and crazy things start happening at this church that is happening at any other ones do they come and look at it or do they immediately call huh something must be broke over there uh, i think it, i think it's just Depends on depends on the spiritual maturity of the others. Okay, um, you know I think that's a fair thing. Unfortunately, yeah, there's going to be churches that, um, well, we're the true ones. <laughs> and those yeah. folks are those, those are, folks are off the rails. Right, right. So yeah, you know, well, and that that comes from you know the that whole thing of uh, you know 
a, a culture uh, is the culture being uh, established in your church to have a growth in your church. And a growth is not about people in the pews. A growth is about having the spiritual, um, well, yeah, the the awakened soul, that it would be the proper way to put it, the awakened soul within your uh, people that are attending your church the, where God truly starts to flow through them out into their community, not just with helping, et cetera, but praying over people, the, living their worship instead of just attending worship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, I've, I've been studying various missiological perspectives over the past 30 years from church growth and uh, the emergent church and different things. And uh, I really think the the key that every pastor is really responsible for, for doing is to, is to pay attention to, to church health, not church growth, but church health. Good and point. as you're saying that, that, that people are growing you know, that they're growing in their faith, that they're growing more mature, as it says in Ephesians 4, right? That the whole purpose of the, the fivefold pattern of ministry is so that all the saints are being built up so that everybody comes to the full measure of Christ. And, uh, and I, I, but I believe that when a church is healthy, it's going to grow. And maybe it just grows in, in giving more money to help or doing more works to help, you know, those who are in need. Maybe it's doing it's better at helping people stay married and families stay intact, uh, whatever it is, right. you know, the, doing the work of the kingdom. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, even with um, uh, some of that with, you know, what is the difference between being an Orthodox Lutheran? Because we hear that terminology, you and I do, we hear that a lot nowadays. Being an Orthodox Lutheran versus being a, I don't know, a charismatic type Lutheran, I guess. Well, or a traditionalist. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, you know, for myself, I want to be considered an Orthodox Lutheran in that I hold to the you know, the, the Lutheran confessions as found in the book of Concord, especially the Augsburg confession that I'm an Orthodox Christian and that I, that I understand that the Bible is true and that it is the ultimate authority in my, my life. And that, um, that human philosophy does not trump the scriptures. Um, you know, that, no, the Bible has the last word. So in those regards, I want to be considered orthodox. Right. But uh, I think sometimes the word orthodox is used by some Lutherans um, to say, you know, we're still doing it like they did back in the 1600s. <laughs> we're keeping We're keeping it. <laughs> we're keeping it like the 17th century. Right. Um, and I, I think that's. One of the things that for myself that frustrates me is we don't do worship like Luther did in his own day, let alone how do we talk about Lutherans in Africa or elsewhere. Right. Um, Yeah, because our brothers in Ethiopia are much more like us. 
like me anyway. <laughs> they're much more charismatic. They're very much charismatic. And the, the funny thing is, is to watch people celebrate that, but then in their own churches uh, be a little cautious with that. So what, what do you think the major difference between an African Lutheran versus uh, being a an Americanized Lutheran, let's just say? Well, I think it's it always comes down to, you know, what it means to be Lutheran is not about, it's not about liturgy. Right. You know, ultimately, it's about theology. It's about what are the essentials. You know, it's about, as I said before, radical anthropology and a radical theology, understanding about who God is. It's a, it's the five solas of Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, all based on the scriptures alone and that, you know, all for the glory of God alone, that these are the things that define us as Lutherans, not whether we're using the green book or having green jello, uh, right, you know, right. or have our, have our building set up in a certain way. Right. I do believe, I do believe, you know, like we say the creed, not because we have to, but because of what we believe we want to. And there's, you know, and I, I robe every week, um, mainly because I put on the alb with a stole and the cross, because I know I will not make a fashion mistake <laughs> if I'm you, wearing my robe. You mean you won't wear my uniform? You won't be wearing skinny jeans. Is that what I just no, heard? I won't be wearing skinny jeans no, or a tight T-shirt. <laughs> no, no skinny jeans and a you know you no. I'm telling you, man, that might be the new way to go. <laughs> and but I, but, you know, I'm kidding because that definitely not happening with me. And I do agree <laughs> that they're robing up and because that stuff has significance and meaning as long as your church understands its purpose, you know, right? or that's just but what that the pastor wears. You're right. But it's, we, it's, it's not, I don't have to wear it no. to be Lutheran. no. No, we wear it. We wear it as all that stuff is reminders. It's all right. And and all of that stuff goes all the way back to uh, there again. That's a Jewish mindset, to be quite frank with you, because that uh, that album goes all the way back to what was it that the priests wore when they went into uh, the Holy of Holies? You know what? What? What are those things? Those wore that was a cultural thing. We have adopted and kept those. Why do we wear the black? Because we're sinners. Why do we have a a tab up front? Is to remind us that our voice is no longer ours; that it belongs to the Lord, and we need to be cautious with our words that roll through our throats. And why do we put on the alb? Because if you aren't dressed right for the wedding, you're going to get thrown out, as per Jesus. And the other part of that is, is He's called all of us to be dressed in white in the. Um, as he covers us in his grace. That's why our sin is black underneath and his grace is over the top. And last but not least, we have the yoke because the, uh, or the stole because the stole is our yoke for we're yoked to him in our walk and our teaching that day. And we tie the, um, censure around us because we tie the slave knot into it for we belong to him and not ourselves in these moments and we're no better dressed than the altar we're not yeah we're not dressed to stand out we're dressed to blend in we're the least important thing on that stage yeah 
and yeah. we are blended in with the rest because we're furniture. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Okay, that well, that's how I teach it at my church anyway. And uh, at the end of the day, um, he, the only thing that is important is what flows from that altar and for what flows from his word. I mean, those become the, the key things, you know, that we, we take in unless it's a baptismal day, and then we end up, that is also becomes important. But, you know, the key thing is, is that when we do these things, they're not done out of tradition. They're done out of reverence. And, right. and that and that reverence was not established by the Catholic Church. It was not established by the um, uh, by the Lutheran Church or by the Baptist Church or anybody else. Some of those things were established clean back with Moses from God that said they will wear these things. They will do these things. And we're still doing it. Yeah, I, I I think part of it though is is that the going from being a legalistic demand right. is as you as you said it, you know, is how are these things pointing to God? How do we talk that? I I also think you're great at this kind of stuff because of your background. Like I I heard you talking with your friend about all, the meaning of all the different patches. Right. You know. Yeah. Everything and has I, to have meaning, or what's the point? <laughs> Yeah, but I think, I, but I think that's the thing. A lot of Lutherans come in, and uh, you know, and I don't think it's just Lutherans. I think a lot of Christians come into the church, and, and like they look at the stained glass window, and they don't know why are those symbols there. What are what are all the symbols? And there is just a, you know, there's there is a huge treasure of symbols around us, and if we don't know what what they're attached to, and if we don't understand the deeper story, um. We don't get it. Right. And, and it just becomes art. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want to come to something real quick, come back to some of this, is that it's like you said, this this isn't just culture. This is this is going back into the scriptures. But, you know, we need to recognize is that culture always has a shelf life. And Good point. Um, yeah. And that what was contemporary – 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, it's funny cause we still, you know, we sing songs that we think are contemporary in our, in our contemporary service and they're 30 years old. Uh, I think about it, you know, you listen to, you know, classic rock and some of that stuff is, you know, 40, 50 years old. Um, and so are we expected to keep holding on to that, um, for the next generations? So, well, yeah, go ahead. I know I'm going to say, well, without, without a doubt, hanging on to some of those, they're, they're great. I mean, we were, <clears throat> this was a discussion at the church even today is, uh, but you know, uh, the lyrics are good. Uh, what we could do is bring the tempo up and, uh, shift that music, uh, because you have a lot of, uh, bands nowadays digging in old hymnals and digging out songs, taking and redoing the music to them, and they're making it relative for the current generation, but utilizing words that have been sung for the last 800 years. Right, right. You know, there's, um, we need actually more, um, more Christians willing to dig into right theology. That's the great thing about some of those old hymnals, is the verbiage they have is theologically good accurate good 
ties into what you're preaching on that day and the whole nine yards, right? The basic yeah. homiletics of things. But then when you turn around and, uh, you know, people will always go, well, I don't want to be entertained at church. If you can't sing the song and only they are singing, the worship team is singing the song or the choir, then you are being entertained. So we've got to, we've got to work like you're saying to get the people in our church to be able to be able to sing these songs and be able to move forward. What do you do? You know, if they were all raised Lutherans, there's a lot of them that can just sing it without ever cracking a hymnal. They've sung them so many times. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, right. <laughs> but there's and, a lot. And there's, yeah. a, there's a lot others that are, uh, don't know where the, you know, I'm new to the Lutheran faith. I've been, I've been a Baptist for a long time, or I've started coming here because I'm hearing the word taught here, etc. So how do we, you know, I guess that's, that would be a question I would pose to you is how do, how do we help that, that type of culture move forward? Well, I want to share with you a story. I went to a church conference and this is, um, 20 years ago. And, um, it was a Methodist church, a large Methodist church, and they were we were doing you know doing some worship, and they were singing this song, and I'm like, I know this song, but I don't know this song. How come I don't? I know I know this tune, and it finally dawned on me was that we were singing the old English lyrics, and and what that made me realize is that you know for us Lutherans, we were still speaking German and Swedish and whatnot. You know, up until the 1950s in, wow. in many parts of the country. And so when we translated our hymns into English, we, we were already in modern English. We never went through the, the worship wars over simply the language. Right. But that also made me realize something else is that for 300 years in this country, Lutherans have been an immigrant church. Ooh. And we've done we've done yeah. great with immigrants. And as long as the boats were coming over with Germans and Swedes and Danes and Finns and Norwegians, etc., you know, our churches were doing good and then, you know, and then, and there was a time when our our, our churches, the, the you know, families had large numbers of kids and uh, that all went great. Right. But by the time we by the time we get to the 1950s, that that immigrant um, spirit has waned. And, you know, many people who were, who are of Swedish or German descent, etc. um, that while they continue to have that identity in their lives, it's not one of their top identities. In fact, they identify themselves much, much more as Americans. And, Lutherans have struggled to do ministry, to do mission in the United States with American people. And one of the ways to see this is that both in like the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and, and even with the NELC, where the, 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 the churches with the most expansive growth have been churches that have been focused towards immigrants. Um, like my friend Pedro Portillo's church, um, or his uh, or his nephew uh, uh, Juan Portillo. I mean, those churches with Hispanics, particularly Salvadorans. I mean, they've they've you know they grew very very quickly. Um, I, but I would then we, I would imagine so. I mean that that is uh, 
that is the thing that is un, that is often missed in our country is just how many immigrants we have here. And I'm not talking about just watching the news thing. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of people that they, you know, we, we have numerous different cultures that live within the borders of this country. Right. And learning and, how to reach out to them instead of just assume because you live in my country, we have the same culture. Yeah. And so, and, but they're easy to do to do mission with because you're like, hey, why don't we all get? Why don't us all us Ethiopians or all us El Salvadorians get together and we can have our food together and we can remember the old country and we can sing our our worship songs together? But when you're talking about reaching, you know, the Americans who live in the suburbs, um, whether they're Hispanic, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation Hispanic, or sixth, seventh generation German or Scandinavian. You know, it's it's a different story, and how do we reach them? Um, it's a it's under how do we translate who we are? And I think that's where you know theology is actually extremely important because I, if if we're focused on being a church where the Holy Spirit is is giving us life, empowers the Word, and where lives are being transformed. Then I think even with the with the the setting of a traditional of a, a liturgical service, your churches can grow. Oh, without a doubt. I think the reality is we need to unshackle ourselves uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead where He wants to lead, and we actually become the obedient ones who follow where He is taking us. And when we go, it may feel a little uncomfortable when you're headed there, but we need to head. Because there's always something bigger and better waiting on the other side. He isn't going to lead you down a road of woe. It's when we try to take over that things don't go quite right. Yeah. I, one of the things that comes to my mind is what my wife Deborah says. If, 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 if Lutheran churches are only going to go after Lutherans, we're doomed. But it's even worse than that. We're not being faithful to God. We're not doing our mission, which is to reach all, pe- all nations um, so that they may know Christ. And so, you know, how do we go about doing that evangelism is, is a big question and a, a challenge for churches, especially when so many of them are struggling in different ways. Granted, and, I, and I'll tell you from growing things that we're uh, working with churches that are on the grow and working with uh, outside of the, the Lutheran denomination and going into the non-denom world, as well as going into motorcycle club life, how you grow something is the people that are in it have to know it. They have to mm. be well trained up and know it because then other people want to know why they know what they know. The other thing is we, I mean, this is in any church. I don't care. This doesn't have anything to do with denominationalism. If it has to do with, um, People talking about your church, do your people speak well of your church? Do they speak well of the pastor? Do they speak well enough of your pastor that it raises curiosity and which draws other people in? Do they speak well enough of the climate and the uh, time of fellowship and the time of uh, singing and uh, together? Do they, do they do that well enough that people go, I need to go see what this looks like? Yeah, as I as I tell my folks, it's my job not to embarrass you. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I bring my friend, if I bring my friend 
to church, you're gonna, you're not going to be preaching on you know dispensationalism or whatever weird you know little theological thing you're talking about or right. or, or give, you know but that the pastor you know is delivering not just in the preaching. Uh, one of the things I work real hard at is is simply being friendly. And learning people's names. Well, you, you, oh yeah, I got to work on the knowing names. I'm bad at that. But I can tell you this: is that I I am probably the opposite of you in this area, Douglas, because people bring them to my church to go. Oh, we don't know what's going to happen. Come and let's go find out, because you never know exactly what he's going to say or do, and it's crazy. Just come and listen. It'll be good at the end. It's good. I mean, but uh, for starters, when he starts preaching, um, it may start over here and end somewhere because we've never seen him write anything down. He just takes off and does what the Holy Spirit tells him, and it's insane. And um, <laughs> I've actually had other pastors come to my church and say, well, I'd like a copy of that. I'll say, uh, I hope if they recorded it, you're welcome to it. Well, I'd like that the copy of what you said. Um, can I? Can you just go run off a copy? I'm like, no, uh, I don't write sermons. Uh, I had yeah. to for this OUSC thing I did. I wrote a sermon, and I'm sure they're going to try to make me answer questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. which I'm going to go, you better hand it back to me so I can see what I said. <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know, um, but but part of the thing is you're right. I mean, we, with people, you don't want to, uh, we want to, we teach the truth no matter what. And yeah. and the other thing is, is we, we go, that part of being charismatic um, in, in any faith, just period, just part of being following of, being full of the charismata, the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and him pushing you forward is being an obedient servant. And I mean, preaching, uh, the reason I quit writing sermons a long time ago is I couldn't stick to them. I mean, they, yeah. were, they were great when I was writing them. And I mean, yeah. I could put a whole book together out of ones I've written. But on the other end of things... Um, if you're the type of pastor that is reading the room and you're reading everything else, you never know where the Lord is. He's got somebody there to hear something. And so, yeah, yeah. It happened for me last night at Lenten service. I mean, I was like, okay, folks, I'm going off the text. And I just started talking and I told him, I said, you need to listen up because this is, this is coming from the spirit. Absolutely. I think all my, you know, yeah. But I want to I want to back up a little bit. I think that some so many folks are afraid of that word of, like you said, the the, the charisma of God. And what does that mean? I mean, for me, I mean, I don't speak in tongues. Right. Um, yeah, you know, for me, it's simply that I love Jesus, and and I'm excited about Jesus. I don't understand why others aren't more excited. Right. And 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 that excitement. Uh, that joy, I think that's a much better word than excitement. I, I am filled with joy and faith because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm also filled with, with love. And, and that's what I want to share. And I think, again, coming back to um, not embarrassing people is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you, you care. Right. And that's a good word. one of the things, that's one of the things I really try to teach our people is if you want to see people come back, well, then you got to welcome them. You got to be, 
caring and welcoming and you know, you're not going to love somebody the first time you meet them, but how do you display that you're a loving person right. in general? Right. And I think church churches don't always come away like that. You know, when you walk up to the pew and there somebody's sitting there and you're like, Hey, you need to move over. That's my spot. Oh yeah. It, I see that all it, the time. It's, it's kind of like the old, the old uh, Swedish joke about Ollie, Oli and Lena, where they'd been married 57 years and, and they're rocking on the front porch. And she says, you know, you haven't told me you love me since our wedding day. And he says, well, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I, I think <laughs> a lot of Lutherans sometimes we can be like that. Without um, a doubt. I mean, yeah. Because it's our, you know, Germanic or, or Scandinavian background. But to do ministry in the American context is to help express that that grace, that welcome of Jesus Christ. Amen. And always remember the message is important, not the messenger. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, I I always say, you know, I don't care if anybody ever remembers my name, but as long as they remember the name of Jesus Christ, then I am in good shape. And And I I think that's, that's true for the congregation, too. Absolutely. You know, I don't even care if they remember where they heard it. You know, they just need to know that this is what the Lord is saying to them. Well, you know, one of the other things is learning how to do um, outreach as a church. It is, a, it is like I said, it's part of, of a church wanting to be focused on being a well-trained church, that we're supposed mm-hmm. to be training up good disciples but also that uh, that they have a willingness not to send the pastor uh, into the trenches, but they actually go into the trenches and and the pastor comes alongside them on more than one occasion. I mean, a lot of the people that uh, attend our church here is um, uh, that we've met through uh, ministering at the jail, ministering at uh, the prison, ministering at the mission ministering on the street, uh, coming in and helping uh, young mothers, stuff to that effect. I mean, it's got to be, you got to be where they're hurting. That's for sure. Right. In order to, when they, to help them get healed. But then once they're healed, you can't hang on to them, man. You got to keep pushing them forward. Right. Well, you know, one of the blessings that your church has is you've been in Casper for decades you know, you, you know, that community very well, you have lots of connections there. And so you've, there's lots of ministry opportunities that your congregation has that um, perhaps they were part of it before, but they, those, those connections have grown even more deep as you've been pastoring that church. I've only been here at at St. John's for three years. Right. And uh, so I'm still learning a lot of the community. We've been involved in some things. um, And, but uh, we do uh, a friend Sunday three times a year, right? And we 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 promote it. We ask people to be praying for the people, and we realize on friend Sunday we'll be lucky if we get a couple of you know maybe we'll get five or six people on a on a given friend Sunday. But what that does is continue to hold up that value in the life of the church that we're going to be about inviting people. And that's one of the things I've really seen over this past twelve months is that our folks really are beginning to invite family and friends and bringing them uh, at different times of the year um, 
you know, to worship. And, and that's been part of the, part of the growth that's been happening in our church Right is, is that though they're bringing their, their family. Well, you know, one thing I would say about me being around here for a long time, when I came to Christ, I mean, I never, ever, this is my first time being a pastor in a church and everything that I've done ministry wise was on me. I didn't have other people to support me. Uh, none of the people ever paid for any of that or anything to that effect. When I went and did the mission, etc., I used to teach down there at night because I had to leave North Dakota at 3 a.m. in order to get back there or to the jail to start preaching at 7 p.m. And, you know, those things are, it's not about uh, just being known in a community because I, I can tell you that no matter where I go, my wife will tell you I will find whoever is eating out of a garbage can or anything else. And within no time at all, I've got 10 people sitting around me and I'm explaining to them how life could be a lot better. In fact, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When we were in uh, San Francisco at one point, we were out there on vacation on our anniversary. And uh, <clears throat> so when we were out there, um, I got, I said, Hey, you want breakfast? We're going on a wine tour up to Napa Valley out of San Francisco. And yeah, she, And she goes, yeah, let's grab some breakfast uh, because we're going to be a little while before we get up to Napa. So I went down and when I, I ordered coffee, I ordered uh, 15 coffees and I ordered like 20 sandwiches or something like that. And I gave Christy one and she helped me carry out because she knows what I'm doing. And I walk out and you got all these people sleeping on the street. And I'm like, hey, who wants coffee? And so they start coming for coffee. And I'm like, hey, I got some food. So there's they got food. So. I sit down and I and I'm I'm dressed like I always dress. I dress like a gangster ninety nine percent of the time. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. So my wife always dresses very nice, actually, and uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm in the midst of all these homeless uh, guys and gals, and I'm like, hey man, the reason I'm giving you this food today is not because I just am worried about you being hungry, but. You know, the Lord is the one that's worried about you being hungry. And I started going through and just doing just a real brief thing that, hey, no matter where you're at, I want you to know that you're loved and he loves you. And I'm talking to him. The next thing I know, Christy is on the bus because I'm not paying attention. And she starts yelling, <laughs> Bart, let's go. Come on. Come on. And I, I'm like, okay. I say, okay, dudes, I will see all of you later uh, if opportunity arises. And they're like, oh, okay. And so I get up. And, and by now, I had way more people around me than I did sandwiches or coffee. And they're literally breaking their sandwiches in half. And they're sharing them with each other and they're dumping little bits of coffee into whatever cups they got. And they're all sharing in the stuff. Right. I mean, so this is happening. And uh, and so what ends up happening is I go to get on the bus. I walk out of the middle of a bunch of uh, homeless people and I am dressed in kind of a gangster. Right. And I go to get on the bus and the guy goes, oh, hell no. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? I, I'm, I paid for this. And he goes, no, no, you didn't. And I said, what do, what do you need? I had to show him my ID to get on there because he was convinced I was one of the homeless people. Okay. Man, I don't care where you're at. I mean, I, I don't care who you are. If you drop Bert Eldridge off in the middle of I don't care where, somebody's going to learn about Jesus before it's all said and done. It isn't about being raised here. It is the way he made me. There's a reason yeah. There's a reason this show is called The Barbarian Prophet, because a prophet always points to the coming of Christ. 
That is his yeah. job. It isn't to tell the future. The future is easy to tell. Jesus said he's coming. I'm telling you, he's coming. And the other part of that is, is that he loves you. And this is how we're going to get through this, etc. That's the point of a prophet. A prophet isn't something mystical or magical. But on the other end of that, the, that's part of what being a barbarian, even in a civilized church looks like, is no matter what, you don't scare me. You can't threaten yeah. me with Christ. Okay. Yeah. You cannot threaten my life for I, my redeemer has already claimed my life in the, in the watery grave. All you're going to do is take the flesh. Ain't no thing. And on the rest of that deal is that it doesn't matter where you go. If you aren't living that outside of your community, if you aren't living that as life, then you ain't living it as a life. Then the rest of it, the rest of it is a show and a sham and you're just full of crap. The truth is either we are about his work all the time for we serve the king or we're serving ourselves and serving a small group of people. I mean, that that is the reality of it. And anytime we can get the next guy to be doing that where he is serving in his or hers um, capacity to where they have an ability. A, I got people that speak uh, sign language. I can't speak to the deaf but they can. Uh, I got people that speak. My little brother speaks extremely good Spanish. I do not speak good Spanish. My little brother can drop the, drop the gospel in a blink of an eye in Spanish where I can't, they got to work in their, um, in, in what God has created them to do, but it should never, ever matter whether you're in your hometown or whether you're in a brand new city. And I, and Christy will tell you, 50 stories of me doing crazy stuff in the middle of Boston, Massachusetts and doing things in, like I said, in California. And it just, if, if I'm around, you're not safe from Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, (laughs) he's going to find you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, as you you said, the the title of this, this episode would be uh, being a barbarian Christian in a civilized church and, um, you know, I think, I think that's it. Are we willing to, to risk ourselves and to risk our culture, whatever the internal culture of a congregation is so that people can know Jesus. And it, it's like you said, if, if, if the, if the church culture is more important than reaching people for Jesus, then maybe we need to be looking at what we're doing. I would agree. So as we, yeah. as we button it up here, I, I want to close with that because that was a, that's a solid, solid, solid word. What you just gave was as solid as I've ever heard. We have got to – the only culture we should be building is the kingdom culture, and that is the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, serving God is what it's all about. And uh, he makes it so easy, and we make it so complicated sometimes. But. Yeah, the, the the Christian faith is not complex and easy. The Christian faith is hard but simple. That's right. And you know, the I I love the the statement in um, Narnia. You you remember the movie Narnia? Oh yeah. And uh, and the and he's walking away down there, and that little girl is looking down, and she goes, "Oh." Is he safe? And the and Thomas goes, he is not safe, but he is good. 
Yeah. And that is true because I tell you what, if you're looking and you're seeking safety inside Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. Because if you're looking for an adventurous life, that is what Christianity is supposed to be about. And if you are yeah. so comfortable in your Christian faith that you feel secure and safe, then you are probably in the most dangerous place you've ever been in your life. You should always mm-hmm. be living right on the very cusp of your concept because the truth of the gospel begins at the end of your belief in yourself. And it begins yeah. when you have a full belief in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Well, brother, I thank you for joining me for another hour here on the barbarian prophet. And, uh, I look forward to more conversations with you and, uh, and we'll, we'll continue to stay in contact. I love talking with you, Douglas. I appreciate it, Bert. Same, same here. All righty. Well, you know what I always tell you folks, I love you and Jesus loves you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. For questions or comments, please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness in the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that. Yeah, that one more important thing is you need to get out of the church and start living in the wild. W-I-L-D. We intentionally love daily. And if you're going to live out in the wild, that means you're going to have to put up some risk. So brothers and sisters, let's shackle up, man. Let's make sure we lock on all that armor of God and march out into the battle. You were born into war. You weren't born into a time of peace. See you next time on The Barbarian Prophet.